Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank, happy Thanksgiving to you at home as well. Uh, as Nate mentioned, my name is Todd. I'm the executive pastor here at Pathway Church. And I have the privilege this morning of sharing this message with you, the thieves of Thanksgiving. And thank you to the band for singing and, and leading us in worship. Actually, Rhea, who was singing as well. Yeah, we can clap for the band. She actually makes awesome stuff like this during the week too. So it's, she's pretty talented. But uh, I'm going to talk about these thieves of Thanksgiving this morning. I'm going to define them a little better in just a second. But before I did that, I wanted to read to you an account of a story from about 2,000 years ago in a place somewhere between Galilee and Samaria in the Gospel of Luke. So I'm just going to read a few verses right now in chapter 17. And on the way to Jerusalem, he, this is Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now you can envision these people just yelling out and they're doing this for good reason. These were lepers. They had leprosy. There was no cure at that time. We don't see leprosy now very much, but there's actually a cocktail of medications to treat it when they do find it. Then there wasn't. When you got leprosy, you were cast out of your village, away from your family, away from your friends, away from everything you knew. So when you see this, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They are pleading to him to do something to help them. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. There's a few pretty incredible things about that story. First of all, Jesus healed ten lepers. That's pretty incredible. But the other thing that really sticks out to me as I read this story is that only one came back to say thank you. That stick out to anyone else? As you read that story, that only one would come back to give thanks. After all, this completely would have changed their lives. Yet only one went back. But honestly, as we sit here judging these guys from 2,000 years ago, it leads me to a question for us to ask ourselves. Am I the nine or the one? Where would I sit on that day if that happened to me? And that makes me feel a little bit cringy because then I go from being really judgy to being like, ugh. Even even as we read this story, I would guess that in this room, 90% of us would think we're the 10%, right? Like, I don't know. That's how I felt when I read it. But then we look at these guys like, how could they not go back and say thank you to Jesus? But I think all of us, have been in that boat. We all have those moments where we're ungrateful. And, and what, at least what I'm finding, I'm 42 now, and I find it so easy to see the areas where you're ungrateful when you look back. And the further back you go, the more ungrateful you realize. Like when, when you were kids, you're like, oh, wow, my parents, as you get older, you're like, wow, my parents actually have done a lot for me. And then when you have kids, you're like, oh, wow, my parents did a lot for me. And then you have teenagers and you go and you beg their forgiveness and say, thank you so much. You've done so much for me. 
But I think that just continues. Because I, I can think of one great example of when I wasn't so grateful. When Carolyn and I were 22, we had the opportunity to purchase our first home. 22. I think of our current housing market right now, and you must be like, that is crazy. You, you must have had incredible jobs. We didn't. I was just starting at TELUS. Carolyn was working retail, but an opportunity presented itself for us to own our first home. Now, it wasn't the area that we would want to be in. Uh, every week or two, a few shingles would blow off the roof. It needed some TLC. Uh, if we bought it in 2002, if we would have bought it in 1985, it still would have been dated by a couple decades. But I remember the excitement of getting those keys and we owned our first home. It was incredible. And slowly we would fix it up and, and all those years ago, I remember Nathan coming over and helping me lay down some new floors and we almost got divorced when we tried to do wallpapering together and we got the roof repaired and it was looking nice. Everything was good, but then something happened. Some of our friends started buying homes and their homes were newer and a bit bigger and maybe in areas that we wanted to be in. And now this incredible thing, this young couple that owns their own three-bedroom home is like, oh, I wish I had their house. Oh, have you ever been there? I, I don't think I'm alone. I can say we all fall prey to what I'm calling this morning the thieves of thanksgiving. The thieves of thanksgiving. Now, you see that character? That's kind of the idea I was communicating to Ray, and that's exactly right. But I don't want you to think that this is like, you know, the Thanksgiving version of the Grinch who stole Christmas. Only this one steals like turkeys and pumpkin spice lattes. No, that's not exactly what we're talking about this morning. This morning I want to talk about essentially the distractions, the lies, the half-truths that steal our gratitude day in and day out. And honestly, most of this list I came up with through a couple books I've read this year, through conversations with people, um, through conversations with my kids, right away, the top three, when I asked my kids just out of nowhere, if you thought of something that would steal your gratitude, your thanksgiving, what would it be? And they, they knocked out the first three right away. So I'm going to get going on this list right now. And here's the number one thief of thanksgiving, and it is comparison. Comparison. It will steal the gratitude from right under your nose. And if you've attended this church for any length of time, you've heard someone from the stage say, there is no win in comparison. And that's an Andy Stanley statement they said years ago, but it's so true that we repeat it often. There is no win in comparison. Anything that we're good at in life, there's someone better. Anything that we have that is awesome and we've saved up for years, someone has a better one. And if we find ourselves comparing all the time, we're never going to be able to be thankful See, the, the lie in this is we just don't know the full story. And I'll never forget this moment when I was with one of my brothers, and I, I can't remember, we were kayaking or canoeing, something on the water. And we were going by this cottage, and it was like this big, beautiful, amazing cottage. Like, it's like four times the size of my house, all wood, it's beautiful. And I looked, I was, like, I was commenting, I was like, what, can you imagine living in somewhere like that? That would be incredible. And then uh, my younger brother, who sometimes is just wiser than me, he's like, yeah, but we don't know the full story. We don't know the full story. Maybe that person was born into a lot of money. 
or, or maybe they're a really savvy, savvy investor. Maybe they had this great invention or started a great business. And those all are possible. But that house could also represent weekend after weekend, night after night, of working multiple jobs and missing their kids growing up, missing the little league games and missing Christmas and missing birthdays. And as he looked at it, he's like, I wouldn't want that if that was the cost. And I was like, yeah, that's so true. But sometimes comparison, we just take a quick glimpse, but we don't get the full story. It is a thief of Thanksgiving, which leads me to the second one, which is hardship. This one I won't spend much time on because it's very obvious, right? When, when things are difficult in our life, it becomes very hard to be thankful because our eyes get off where they should be. The lie that we hear there is we're not going to make it or we don't have enough to make it in this situation. And this happens through our lives when we experience loss of almost any kind. If we lose a job, if we lose a loved one, any, any sort of personal or relational loss that we experience, that hardship will make it so we are a little less grateful. Which leads me to the third, which is another one of the biggies. Entitlement. Entitlement. This is everywhere, isn't it? It's like when we just assume we deserve something just because of who we are. I, we, we, just, we see this in workplaces. We see it in politics. We see it in sports teams. We see it everywhere. But we see it in ourselves as well. I remember just before we bought that house, it was actually before we were married, and I stayed at my grandparents' house. They had a place in Oshawa, but they went to Florida six months a year. And I was commuting from Lakefield to Markham every day. So I'm like, can I stay there? And they said, sure. And they said, it'll be, and I can't remember, it was 250 or $300 a month. And I was like, what? My grandma charging me? What is happening? Little did I know, again, now that I'm a little further out, is because I was there, we were using the underground parking spot, and we are using heat and hydro and all those things that would have been discounted. Really, it was just kind of covering the costs there. But I remember that moment of entitlement. I was like, hey, I shouldn't have that. I shouldn't have to do that. How many times have we all felt that? Unfortunately, when that happens... You can, you can feel cheated or wronged. And, and if it's something really personal or maybe at your work after a position that you, you really thought you were entitled to and you've been working for years and years and years and it doesn't happen and someone else gets it, it can lead to frustration and resentment. It can lead to all kinds of negative things. But the one thing it never leads to is thanksgiving. Entitlement is a big thief of thanksgiving. Here's number four. The thief of not enough. The thief of lack. That I've never arrived. I was, I'm actually reading a book, and it's, <clears throat> it's actually funny in light of uh, what we talked about last week with the different colors. I, I, how many people were here last week with the different colors? Decent amount, so you'll understand what I'm talking about here. But after, Carolyn and I were joking, because I don't know if you noticed, but all the people that are yellows, my wife is a yellow, their yellow stickers ended up on their face, right? Because they're yellow. They're just like, that's how it ended up happening. I'm some sort of mix of a green and blue. And, and we were joking after, I think we were joking. And she's like, blue, or I said, yellows are just crazy. She's like, blues are boring. We're fun. And I was like, no, I'm fun. And I'm just not crazy. And we're going back and forth. It was a few hours later. She walks around the corner, and I'm sitting there reading a book called The Psychology of Money. 
It's like, yeah, blue is so fun, right? Blue is so fun. But I got something really important for this message of that book. So it's still important. In that book, they talk, they're talking about um, finances. And they actually talk about the different financial skills that's so important that everyone has. You know what they said the most important one was? This shocked me. Said the most important one was that we stop moving the goalposts. Because what happens often is we try and get rich. We, we try and get a job to make like 50000 a year. And you get there and then you're like, oh, I got to make 80000 a year. So you work really hard and you do all this stuff and you do everything you can do. And then you're making 80000 a year. And then you're like, I need 120000 a year. And then you work, really, it just keeps going on and on. And that's what they're saying. If we never stop moving the goalposts, we never stop redefining what success is, we'll never become wealthy. You'll never become wealthy and you'll never have success with finances. It is the whole lie that I need more, not enough. Which brings me to the fifth one, which is ignorance. This is another one I didn't think of at first. And, and sometimes people don't quite understand what ignorance means. And it really means just that, not understanding something. We just don't know. And I think this is the story all the time with every single one of us in our room. When we were children and when we were teenagers and when we were young adults, sometimes there was areas where we were ignorant. We just didn't know. And sometimes when we don't see things, we don't think to thank our parents for something. We don't think to thank that coworker that always does that annoying job that no one wants to do at work. We never think to thank them because they just do it ahead of time, right? And sometimes there's a bit of ignorance and we just don't see it. Even I, I was thinking about this morning. If I were to show up this morning, right at the beginning of service, I probably would sit here and enjoy the service. I wouldn't think to thank anyone. And I'm not saying anybody of these people do things for thanks. But there was a group of people really early setting all this up. So there's lights and there's sound. There's a stage I'm standing on. There's kids' rooms back there. there there's people right now actually doing things throughout the service, probably more than you think, um, that are trying to make all of this work. And oftentimes... It's behind the scenes and we all do it. We all do some of those behind the scenes things, but oftentimes one of the thieves of Thanksgiving is ignorance because we just don't see it, which brings me to the very last one. The last thief of Thanksgiving is hurry. Hurry is one that I didn't actually think of at first, but it was actually through reading a book that's talking about how we need to get rid of hurry in our lives. And the problem is when we are just hurrying from one thing to the next thing, to the next thing. We miss everything, including those opportunities to show gratitude to those around us. Not only do we miss out on the opportunities, we don't even see it because we're going so fast. I, I can think of, of days when I have worked all day and I come home and there's just a meal that is just magically there and I eat it and then I go on to my next meeting or a kid's practice or something without expressing the proper gratitude for the work that was put into that. And I think... We can all see that. But when our head is down and we're just going, 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 it's so easy to miss. So easy to miss. So these are kind of the thieves of Thanksgiving that I was thinking of. And, and I feel like if, if we use that whole nine to one ratio, 90% to 10%, I would say these thieves are pretty successful. I think they're pretty successful. And I think one of the main reasons they're so successful is that they happen so gradually. Just a bit at a time, right? Just a little bit. No one just is entitled all of a sudden. It's a bit at a time. 
Just a little bit. It's not that there's all of a sudden all of this hardship. It's a little bit. And I know, I've, I think I've told this story before, but when Carolyn was in high school, she had a friend that uh, learned the, um, the pin number to her interact card. And while Carolyn was in class and she had a spare, for nine months, she would take the card out and go make purchases for herself and take $20 out or $40 out or do this. But she just did it little by little until nine months later, she got greedy, took a bigger amount. It flagged it, brought it to the police, and they found out that over nine months, this person had stolen over $2,000 from her. Over $2,000, but she didn't even notice because it was just bit by bit. And I think that's how these thieves of Thanksgiving work. Just bit by bit. But the thing is, I'm talking about these thieves as if they're people, but these are actually just strategies that there's one thief that actually uses. And in John 10.10, it says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. This is Jesus talking about Satan, how he is the thief, that he is trying to steal this gratitude from us. He's trying to steal a lot of stuff from us. And there's a quote that uh, I don't have the author of this quote, but I found it in a few different spots and it, it nails it. It's like the devil doesn't need to lead us into gross sin. He just needs to distract us from seeking Christ. Both will ruin our witness for the Lord. Again, it's not necessarily just the big thing. It's just little things, little lies, little deceptions. It's been a strategy from the beginning. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, they're in paradise. And a snake comes up and just like, "Ah, does it really matter if you eat that apple? It's been a strategy since day one. He tried it on Jesus. It didn't work when he tried to tempt Jesus. And he tries this with us. These little lies. And, and of course, in Scripture, like in in, uh, Hebrews 12, I believe it is, it says to fix our eyes on Jesus. And we know that's the answer. If we focus on the truth, we won't fall for those lies. But what does that look like? That's so tricky. It's such an easy thing to just say, oh, just fix your eyes on Jesus. See, the, the evil one wants us fixing our eyes on our hardships, our entitlements, on all those other things, on the next thing we have to get to right away when we need to focus our eyes on Jesus. So I have two examples of people in the Old Testament that did this well. The first one is David, King David. So in the Old Testament, and I'm just going to read a couple verses from Psalm 69. And a lot of times through the writings with David, he would be, talk, he would be talking and almost complaining to God saying, God, where are you? I need help. I am in deep trouble. But he would always come back. He would always come back to knowing who the God is that he serves. And here's just a few verses for that. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. Getting serious here. It's like I am weary with, with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim. And with waiting for my God, he's crying out. And he does this for a lot of verses. You'll notice we skip right to verse 30 here. And it says, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. And of course, David isn't making God bigger with thanksgiving. He is readjusting his eyes to notice how big the God he is, serves is. And it says, let heaven and earth praise him in the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build up the cities of Judah And people shall dwell there and possess it. 
The second person that I wanted to talk about is Daniel. Now, Daniel, I don't know if you've heard this story, whether you've been in church a really long time or maybe not for a while. Maybe most of us have heard Daniel in the lion's den, that story, right? And if you went to Sunday school, you definitely would have heard that. And that account is found in Daniel chapter 6. And you'd have to read the first five chapters to get a little bit of context. But essentially, Daniel is this exile. He is in a foreign land. He didn't choose to be there. But he has proved himself so well that when the king decides to set up 120 leaders across the kingdom, he sets them all up. And then he picks three presidents over those 120 leaders. And one of them is Daniel. And there are some people that are not very happy about that situation. The 120 leaders are like, they're all looking and they are, that comparison thing is eating up at them. The entitlement is just getting them. They're like, why is he there? We should be there. So they go to Darius and they're like, you know what? We're going to get, we're going to get Daniel here. And they go to the king and they say, you know what, king, you're the greatest. People should only praise you and only pray to you. And they knew that Daniel was faithful to his God. So this decree gets passed, and this is what Daniel does. This is his response. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. And I I think it's so important that his response is to connect with God. It is to thank God. But it's so important that last line, as he had done previously, he had a routine that he intentionally connected with the God in heaven. I want to talk, as I finish right now, I want to talk about the three ways that we can arrest some of these thieves in our lives. And, And like Daniel, they're going to involve us being pretty intentional. And specifically, it's going to involve us being very intentional with our time. So I I almost pictured, I know this is Thanksgiving, not Christmas, but Home Alone, that movie, when Kevin McAllister finds out there's thieves coming, what does he do? Does he just sit there and hope it all works out? No, he makes a plan. He sets up traps, torches and irons and nails sticking up on tar-filled like steps. He does all of the stuff. He prepares a way that he is going to catch these thieves. And I think we have to do the same thing. We can't just assume they're just going to take care of themselves because they won't. So here is the first way that we can arrest these thieves and is invest time with God. Draft one said spend time with God, but I think investing time with God is much more accurate. We need to set intentional time to spend with our father in heaven so we can experience his closeness. So as we read the scriptures consistently, intentionally, We can gain knowledge of who he is and who he's created us to be. Otherwise, we're going to be easy prey for ignorance. And when when those thieves come to try and trick us and make us ungrateful, we are going to be easy prey. David knew this and Daniel knew this. But as we understand who he is and who we are, those things like comparison and entitlement and hardship, they lose their grip on our lives altogether. The second one that I wanted to talk about is this. Set intentional time to be thankful. Intentional time to be thankful. I think the Apostle Paul is a great example of this. If you read his letters, which are throughout the New Testament, you'll notice at the beginning and end of most of them, he's thanking God and he's thanking people. 
people that are with him, people that are far from him, people that he just saw, people that he's ready to go to, he's thanking them. The best example of this is Philippians. I love Philippians because Paul is actually a prisoner in Philippians. And somehow the key themes to Philippians are like joy and thanksgiving and humility. And you're like, what? (laughs) That doesn't even make sense. But it's exactly how Paul lived. I'm going to read a few verses right here. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, remember, this guy's in prison. He's in prison. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, this is so important. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What have you learned and received and heard and seen in me? Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have been revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. See, that last verse is one that gets quoted a lot, but maybe it's quoted out of the context quite a bit as well. But that really goes so much along with the scriptures that Pastor Nathan shared at the very beginning as well. That we would rejoice always, under any circumstance. Now, Paul's sense of gratitude and joy and thanksgiving wasn't tied to what was happening around him, but it was tied to the one he trusted in. That's where he got it from. See, when, you, when we do that, those thieves don't have any power over us. When we are focused on him, they don't have any power over us. But we have to be intentional about this stuff because we all know, like sometimes Thanksgiving's a reflex. Someone like holds a door for you, you say thank you. They do something, you say thank you. But we can't rely on our emotions because our emotions are going to let us down and they are going to make us like one of the nine that just turn the other way and don't come back and say thanks. Honestly, when I think about our emotions when it comes to expressing gratitude, it reminds me of golf. It reminds me with my driver on the 18th tee. I don't know how many golfers I have out there. But you know what? I've tried changing my drivers. I've watched all kinds of videos about changing my hand this way, that way, my toes this way and that way, and I try and change all these things. But at the end of the day, if I use my driver 10 times in a round, two of them are going out of bounds. I know that already. I'm teeing up the ball. I know there's a pretty good chance going out of bounds. I might as well take two balls out of my golf bag at the beginning and just plop them in the pond because that's where two of them are going. There's going to be three or four other ones that they go flying out there and I'm like, oh, that's okay. And then you get there and it's in like deep grass or directly behind a tree. It's like, do I do the hero shot and risk getting hit with a ball? Or anyways, you're, you have those situations you have to deal with. And then you have three or four that they're not on the fairway, but they're, they're just beside the fairway. And you're like, I can see the green. This is, this is good. And you get ready to take your next shot. But there's always the one. There's always the one. 
And most of the time, the one you just aimed really far right, I'm a lefty, and it slices beautifully further than anyone else in your group, right in the middle of the fairway, and you're like, oh, that felt so good. And the, the unicorn of golf shots is the shot that actually goes straight right from the beginning. That happens like once a season. But anyways, I think about me with a driver sitting there, and if there was a lot of money, if there were lives at stake with that driver, I would not trust it. And I think our emotions are the same, and it's why we have to be so intentional with our gratitude. Because we can't trust just when we feel like saying thank you. I think it's important. We can do some intentional things to make this happen. Maybe we add as, as uh, we pray to God, whether it be before meals, before bed, or other times throughout the day. Make sure we start or end with thanksgiving. Just come up with a few things and thank God for them. If you're one, one that journals, and I know I've tried to journal a few times, it's hard to stay consistent. But have part of your journaling to have a paragraph at the beginning to say the things you're thankful for. And you might have to think about it. Maybe it's a bad day and you've got to think of it, but let's be intentional. Let's thank God. Four or five years ago, a friend of ours, Kirk Goodman, was up here preaching and he was talking about Thanksgiving. It was on Thanksgiving Sunday, I believe. Talked about a gratitude jar. And what a great idea that is. Write down every morning, just have a, a jar on your dining room table. Every morning, write down a few things you're thankful for. And slowly but surely, that jar is going to fill up. And there's going to be a day that you just come up empty. You're like, God, it's too hard. There's too much. I can't believe this happened at work. I can't believe this happened to my family. And you can empty that jar and you can remember how good God has been to you and to me. And I think the other intentional thing that we can do is to be thanking the people around us. Start with those closest to you, your closest friends, your spouse, your kids. Let them know that you are thankful for them. Let's be intentional about this. If we just wait for our kids to do something magnificent to say thank you, first of all, it kind of cheapens it. And second of all, we might have to wait some days. It's important that we're really intentional with our thanksgiving, which brings me to the third and final thing, which is to be around thankful people. That's important. Because you know what? If we're around people that gripe and complain and gossip all the time, it's going to rub off. But if we're with people that are expressing gratitude and thanksgiving a lot, that is also going to rub off. It's part of why we meet here each and every week. Not that we're perfect, not that we're always going to be thankful and express gratitude, but we're trying. We're trying to focus our eyes on him. We're doing our best to do that. And and that's so important. We're around other people going the same way. Honestly, as I finish, I just think of how much we have to be thankful for. We have so much to be thankful for in this country and in this church. And I know each one of us, sometimes we are the one. We are the one that goes to God and says, thank you. But there's other times that we're not. But I hope with this message, maybe we can switch those percentages around. If it's 10% of the time we're expressing our gratitude or thanks, maybe by being intentional with our time, we can bump that up to 30%, 50% or more. We can have an impact on those around us as we do it. And I was just thinking what an impact that would have in our home life and our work life, the people around us if we just decided to do that to express our, our gratitude to people to recognize the good things God has done for us and honestly this, never, this world is never going to be perfect there's always going to be thieves trying to take our focus um, off of God off of Jesus there's going to be these thieves lurking around and bit by bit trying to take those things 
But as our friend Paul says, that under all circumstances, we can be thankful. We can be thankful. Can I pray? God, thank you for today. Thank you for this group of people that are in this room. Thank you for the group of people that are watching online, whether it's live or weeks from now, Father. God, I pray that you would touch our hearts. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us as we try to be intentional with our time because this stuff isn't easy to do. As we attempt to put some rhythms in our life that help us to be intentional, to focus on you, Father, so we can arrest these thieves and put them behind us, God, and not let them rule our lives, God. I just pray that you would be with us and you'd give us strength and give us perseverance, God. God, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for this church family, God. Thank you for a country that we can worship freely, God. That we can actually go out on a Monday morning and we can talk about our faith and we can talk about Jesus. And we might get a sneer or something like that, but we're not going to be persecuted, God. Thank you that we live here. And Father, we just thank you for the rest of this day, God. I pray that you would move on us and through us and in us. In Jesus' name, amen.